It's Under the Dome Radio, the full discussion and fan feedback show for Season 3, Episode 3, entitled Redux. Redo? Does it really matter how it's pronounced? We have way more important things to discuss on Episode 54, recorded July 3rd, 2015. You came back. Awesome. Welcome back to Under the Dome Radio. Thanks for joining us. Under the Dome Radio is the unofficial podcast by and for fans of CBS TV's Under the Dome. This is episode 54 of Under the Dome Radio, and we have show notes at underthedomeradio.com slash 54 that'll include some of the things we talk about tonight. And if you'd like to leave your feedback, we highly encourage you to do so. Just visit underthedomeradio.com slash feedback. Under the Dome Radio is a very proud member of Noodle Mix Network, so be sure to check out the other podcasts over there that'll help you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. We're also sponsored by lynda.com, L-Y-N-D-A.com. You, too, can get a 10-day free trial and learn some new things like alien video screen operations and stuff like that by visiting lynda.com slash dome for all the details. I'm at Wayne Henderson. Your voice acting, podcasting, Green Bay Packers fan, and much like Big Jim Rennie, I'll go ahead and play the role of the quote-unquote designated survivor. And I am at Troy Heinrichs, and darn it, Wayne, peace and quiet on an island is all I wanted for Christmas in July. But I guess as long as I could come with you as the dog, then it's okay. We'll be friends. <laughs> Happy holidays, Troy. Happy holidays to you as well. Three down, ten to go. It is a 13-episode season, even though it's only on for 12 weeks. So how are you this evening, Sir Wayne? I'm doing very well. I can't even believe that it's July, let alone Christmas in July, but I'm doing well, doing well. We have an exciting show, packed, jam-packed, um, lots of voicemails, <laughs> a lot of voicemails. You guys are amazing that you can get these things in so quickly, but we have a lot to cover before we get to those. So what will we be covering this evening, Sir Wayne? Well, we do have our breaking news segment. We'll have dome-related news, including the ratings and anything that might be happening around Chester's Mill. We also have requests and dedications. We're going to close the loop on anything remaining from last week's episode and last week's feedback, and also feature the Under the Dome Clam of the Week. And we are going to be on the air talking about what we found interesting about the most recent episode of Under the Dome that some people pronounce Redux, some pronounce Redo doesn't matter. We're going to talk about it. Then we're going on location. This is going to be fabulous this evening. We are going to chat with you, the true fans of Under the Dome, with a lot of fantastic listener feedback, voicemails, theories, more and more and more. It is unbelievable. Stay tuned for that. Then we'll have investigative report. We've got the skinny on next week's episode and some other things that some folks might find spoilery. But uh, we'll leave that for investigative reporting. So let's get things underway because we've got a lot going on. Right, Troy? Absolutely. Here comes the breaking news. Can you believe it, ladies and gentlemen? You can already pre-order the third season of Under the Dome on Amazon. It's like these guys have this stuff planned like a science. Like they know that you're just going to want to pull the trigger now. Because the season just started. Are you oh, getting absolutely. yours? Oh, yeah. I'm definitely going to get the season three Blu-ray of uh, Under the Dome. Of course, it's not going to be out for many months. But you can go ahead and get the pre-ordering out of the way. Just visit underthedomeradio.com 
slash season three. That's our affiliate link with all the details. And it has a really awesome looking cover. I love butterflies, especially giant black ones. (laughs) That sucker's huge. I don't want that waking up in my bedroom when I wake up in the middle of the night eating my clothes, needing some (laughs) giant mothballs in. That'll stink. I mean, it can carry the whole dome away. That's how powerful butterflies can be. Well, it won't be too hard for Dome to actually keep itself up in the ratings this summer, going up against Rookie Blue on ABC and the Lame Duck Hannibal, which was canceled. So we have a problem, though, Wayne. And that is? We hit a series low. Low. Series low or not just season three low? Low. 1.0 in the 18 to 49 demographic, which was still the best of the nine o'clock hour. So if you call that a victory, we'll take it. And then, of course, 5.2 million viewers watched live last night. And I think that being that this is July 3rd, as we record this, tomorrow's July 4th, Independence Day in the United States. These are U.S. ratings. Maybe some people were out of town doing a little four-day weekend vacation. So it's possible that the holiday had some effect on these ratings. But like we said, this moved to Thursday night. I, I just don't know why they didn't keep it on Monday. It is definitely a gamble, and we'll know for sure with the next two weeks how those come in, the ratings for those two episodes, if this was just a one-week dip due to the holiday here in the States or not. We won't know for sure for a couple of weeks whether this downward trend is going to continue or what might be going on, but this is definitely something to keep an eye on. Yeah, it's interesting to see what the DVR numbers are going to be. Usually takes about three weeks for those to come in, so hopefully we'll see some DVR numbers for the first week of the summer, if you consider it the third week of the summer, the first week of the summer, because summer for some people starts Memorial day, but others, it actually starts on June 22nd, which is about when the dome kicked off this year. Details, right? Details. Exactly. We, we're just going to go with it. No matter what season this is. Well, that'll conclude our breaking news segment. And we will now talk about requests and dedications. <laughs> As we mentioned, it's a revised segment this year where we will ask you questions to think about and talk about on social media throughout the course of the week. And we asked you, will Ava still be pregnant with Barbie's kid in real life? And guess what? She actually wondered the same thing in this episode. So even though Christine doesn't think she's going to be pregnant, 85% of you that responded said, oh, yes, she will definitely be preggers. So the 80-20 rule applies. Oh, man, what's going to happen If this comes Uh, true. Oh, my. Well, actually, Kristen sent us a note also, and she said, I keep wondering if Christine and Ava have anything to do with the other eggs that were found but broken. They have to have a past that brought them there. Just a thought, and I think Ava will be pregnant. Anything to cause more drama, and that will cause a lot of drama. (laughs) Yes, it will. Uh, And as we mentioned, we're also featuring a new thing called the Best Under the Dome Clamor of the Week made by all of you, the fans, on the Clamor app. That is C-L-A-M-M-R, C-L-A-M-M-R dot com if you want to play along. And this week, our best clam was entitled Dream State Baby Mama Drama, combining all of the great voicemails that we actually had from all of the callers. And it's also fitting since it goes directly related with our dome-provoking question from last week. Under the dome. So you asked whether or not Barbie's dream state baby mama will be pregnant in the real world. Since many of us don't want that to happen, of course she'll be pregnant. Ah! Wayne, Troy, save me from this. 
Save us all. Your only hope. <laughs> Gotta love mixing it up. It's awesome, isn't it, Sir Wayne? That was fantastic. Uh, you can make your own audio creations in a couple of ways. Download Clamor for iOS. Just visit Clamor.com and you can download the app. If you're a non-iOS user or if you just like a computer better, you could go to publisher.clamor.com on the web and upload and tag your audio there. And remember to be featured on the podcast here. Make sure to add the hashtag UTDRFAN. That's under the dome radio fan. UTDRFAN to your clam. That way we can actually see it in the search widget and make sure we bring it into the show. And at the end of the season, the best clam will be voted on by all of you. And then, of course, a special prize awaits. Maybe even your own cocoon. Who knows? So this week, our dome-provoking question will be, what do you think Big Jim will find when he gets over to Bird Island? What do you think, Wayne? Some people? Aliens? Is he going to find some things to help his cause get back his town? I have a feeling he'll find two things. Peace and birds. (laughs) I'm anxious to find out what the listeners' theories are because definitely he's going to find more than that on Bird Island. Oh, that he will. That he will. Now, we are ready. Let's dissect. And yes, I use that word dissect intentionally, as you will soon see as we talk about this week's episode. I yield the floor to you, Sir Wayne, as we go on the air. What are your thoughts about Redux, Redo, however you want to call this sucker. (laughs) Well, I only have a few thoughts, really, because there's so much tied to the listener theories. And I know you've got something extra special coming up in in your section. For me, my main thoughts, and one thing that jumped right to mind is, after we saw Melanie get killed, how long before Melanie comes back to life yet again? Oh, that's a good one. I didn't even think about that. I thought she was dead and gone. Well, that's what they thought at least once before. So... Anything's possible. Not to mention, when I rewatched the episode, yes, I rewatched the episode a second time. Sam's support group is definitely not a comfortable place to be. I felt like the people in there were very kind of mopey, like almost too depressing. Like, was it really that good? Do you really have it that bad that you're just like, <laughs> oh my goodness, I don't want to do anything anymore? I have a feeling the fact that they needed to attend a support group headed by Uncle Sam, that in itself is what's uh, depressing. Now, here's the thing that I thought found very interesting was that even though they're like, why should we listen to you, you murderer who killed somebody not 12 days ago, yes. but yet they were all with him for a year and he served his time in prison, shouldn't they be a little more forgiving and not be all over his case right out of the gate? I mean, eventually he does lead the group and have a conversation with them, but it was like, I think they were totally ostracizing him, even though they've like known him for a year and then he was in jail. Chester's mill does not appear to be the most forgiving place. I mean, look at this. They pretty much banished big Jim, the only guy that's talking sense in the town. And now he's left at least for a while before he returns triumphantly. So yeah, they, he's paid his price and you know, it's, with all of the other wacky things happening in Chester's Mill, I think they can let a few things go. I mean, heck, they don't seem to mind the fact that Junior's burning down his family home. Why should they? It's just crazy. But basically, 
It boils down to I say oxy, you say tosin. Oxy? Tosin. There you go. Mood regulator. That's what we need. And that's basically all the thoughts I have on this week's episode of Under the Dome. Well, if there's so much goop in these cocoons that have this oxytocin effect, isn't there some way that Christine could be harvesting the goop, giving it to Sam, and then Sam could give it out as a pill for the support group? More than likely, that could be happening behind the scenes. Yes, indeed. Ah, and see, there's your tie into season one. Illegal drug ring. It's a lot more serious than what was in the book and a lot more goopier. A lot more goopier. Uh, And then, of course, Big Jim taking off in the boat. What do we make of Big Jim? This is his town. Why is he going to leave the town when its most dire need is upon it to go basically be the lone survivor? I think he's just kind of regrouping. And I would not be totally surprised if this coming week on Under the Dome, we hear Big Jim say, this is my island. (laughs) Oh, and nobody said it's like, we're going to go to the island. And I was like, oh, no, no, not the island. (laughs) He's going to find a hatch and freaking polar bears. Who knows? Time travel is upon us. We're going back to the beginning to live it all over again. (sighs) We digress. We digress. Yes, we do. Well, as Wayne mentioned, we do have a ton of stuff to talk about. It's just all talked about with the listener voicemails this week. And I thought we'd do a little thing different because I was actually driving around in my car. Wayne actually laughs at me because I says I should do a podcast called Driving with Troy because I'm always leaving Siri <laughs> messages uh, on Facebook and, and Twitter and stuff. And as I was driving around, I came across Radiolab from NPR in New York. Uh, they have this program called Black Box. And it's a very interesting program where they analyze things that basically go into a box, come out of the other side of the box, but you never really know what happens inside the box. And I found this week's episode particularly interesting because it talked about none other than butterflies and cocoons. Whoa. And as I was listening to this episode, which was before I saw Under the Dome this week, uh, Redux, Redo, whatever you want to call it. And I was like thinking about this episode and I was like, man, this like ties into the show like so perfectly well. And some of this actually came to fruition through this week's episode. So I thought what we would do is play a couple of these clips. Uh, The Black Box episode is about an hour long. We'll put a link to the show notes so you can listen to the whole thing. Uh, The butterfly concept of the show is the last 15 minutes of the program. And we got about maybe four minutes of clips here for you to digest And we'll kind of talk about them as we go along, because I think it'll also help bridge the gap between last week and this week as we go forward. So in this first clip, it's just kind of introducing why this reporter is actually there at this butterfly garden. So a few days ago, I was in Gainesville, Florida, at the Florida Museum of Natural History, where they have uh, a rainforest. It's, what, about three stories tall? It's like got a top that's all wrapped in a net, and then it was covered in butterflies. Is that is that a monarch? Yes. It was like a Dr. Seussian land of butterflies. <laughs> but I was there to look at the moment right before they become butterflies. What do you think happens inside the chrysalis? When you take one of those little black boxes and you slice it open... Shall we do it? We're taking our tweezer-like scissors through the outer layer of the chrysalis until... I see pupil. Ah! <gasps> oh. What? Oh, my gosh. What? No, it was like there was no caterpillar there. What do you mean? 
There's no head. There were no legs. There was no antenna, no spiky spine. It's like a pale white yellow. It's very liquidy. What was there then? Basically just goo. Just like a runny, goopy goo. A runny, goopy goo. Completely dissolved. And I found that very interesting because we talked about uh, in the reaction cast that when Christine touched the egg, that it looked like her arm almost dematerialized. And I got to thinking, did something happen? They went into the cocoons and did they turn into the goopy goo and become something different when they came out of the cocoons? What are your thoughts on that? Well, two things. One, when I rewatched the episode uh, today, I paid real close attention to her hand when the egg was doing whatever the egg was doing. And to me, it kind of looked like it was just getting x-rayed. And then it fluttered about with little lights on it for about a half a second. But the fact that you brought up runny goopy goo just reminds me that it rhymes with Scooby Dooby Doo, but that's unrelated except for we do have a Scooby gang on the show. But yeah, I highly encourage everybody to find that exact episode and listen to the full thing that happens there because it's pretty fascinating and you will know something about butterflies that you probably did not know it it's pretty wild stuff and we will have the link in the show notes at under the dome radio.com slash 54 so you can listen to the entire thing from radio lab well it gets even better because as they go forward we were talking about will they actually retain these feelings that they had in the alternate universe so here's a second clip that's kind of talking about those feelings one of the big arguments uh, that was taking place. This is Matthew Cobb. He's a biologist and a historian. And he says back in the 1600s, when naturalists saw that goo, they just thought, oh, well, clearly what's happening is that the caterpillar goes into the chrysalis. And then it actually dies. Totally dies. And out of its burial cloth is going to come the new life. This beautiful and completely new creature. Death, as it were, and then kind of resurrection. That's Philip Clayton. He's a philosopher from the Claremont School of Theology. And he says from the beginning, people thought about and wrote about metamorphosis as a kind of spiritual ascent. It says somewhere in the New Testament, behold, the old has passed away, the new has surely come. Basically, people saw the caterpillar as a symbol of our lowly, earthbound, lazy bodies, right? And then the butterfly was sort of casting away all of that, and it represented our soul up in heaven, sort of in its most perfect form. So very interesting there, because we talked about when Ben was being choked to death by Melanie in the season opener, how that butterfly just kind of floated up as soon as he took his last breath. So was that his soul leaving his body? But more importantly, is it that our Human bodies here in Chester's Mill are really the gross earthly versions of ourselves. And maybe these Chester's Millions, Chester Millions, can't say that a hundred times fast. <laughs> but are, were they actually aliens all along? Because Melanie kept talking about, you know, this process. Everybody needs to play a role. They have to go through this transformation. They're, we have to prepare you. And I was like, hmm, that's very interesting because it's the same philosophy theory that they have around these caterpillars and butterflies going back to the caterpillar and the mini dome in season one. Now, Troy, you mentioned something that really caught my eye there. If they do happen to go in the direction of what you just mentioned, where possibly the Chester millions, most of them or all of them were aliens all along. 
that's really going to bump up my interest and respect for the show if they go that route. I, I give them full props if they go that direction. And, of course, give credit to you, to you for writing that. And I'm wondering if this last segment that we heard and what you said about it has anything to do with why Angie got her butterfly tattoo that she had in season one. May she rest in peace. Or is she gone or just floating around as a butterfly, keeping an eye on everybody? Well, after floating around places like tomorrow, or no, she might just return. Well, it gets even interest, more interesting, more interesting because we talked about, well, will they retain the memories? Will they actually feel like they've actually gone on? And of course, again, I've listened to this before the episode this week. So we were still saying when they come out, will they retain the memories of this, you know, year long process that they had inside the cocoons? And here's what happened to the butterflies. There's a hell of a lot of change. So the thing is, is that this transformation, either of the butterfly or of my soul, <laughs> seems so dramatic, so miraculous, that it made some people think like, geez, if you're going to go to heaven in the process, transform that much, is it even you up there? It still has to be you that makes it to heaven. You can't change too much. Otherwise, like someone else will be up there enjoying your afterlife. So certain memories and elements of your identity have to continue just not all the elements yeah i'm i'm so intrigued by that because i also think like when you undergo such a transformation what what do they think carries through that's a really interesting question which brings us to martha weiss i am an associate professor of biology at georgetown university she got to thinking about this question in more concrete terms she did an experiment what we did was we took a big green caterpillar and we did something that was not entirely nice she put them in a box filled it with a nasty odor mm -hmm. and is the odor like an odor of a plant or it's it's actually a plant-based odor but it smells kind of like uh, nail polish remover in any case she gassed them with this nasty smell and then once they could smell the odor then we gave them a zap is that just like a zap just a zip a zap ten, i think 10 seconds of zap 10 seconds and they did this over and over. Odor, zap, odor, zap, odor. Until eventually, most of these caterpillars learn to hate the smell. Every time they get a whiff, they head in the opposite direction. Okay, so then we let them pupate. Meaning the caterpillar changes into its shell, and organs dissolve, muscles melt. You get this... Cataclysmic, catastrophic, chaotic... Change. And then... One month later... The moth emerges... And now we're, we're the drum roll. We're ready for the okay. drum roll. <laughs> they give the moths a whiff. Okay. And the moths hate the smell. What? That's like amazing. What do you think about it? Because that's exactly what we said, is that if you come out of the cocoons, are you going to be the you or the new you? And will you retain these memories? And apparently, just like the caterpillars, Barbie, Junior... Uh, Nori, Hunter, I mean, all these people retained all of that year. And when they came out, it wasn't just Barbie. It was a different Barbie. It was a different Nori. So I, I just found this fascinating as I was listening to this over the weekend and then seeing it come to fruition also in the show. Either that or no creatures like the smell of nail polish remover. Including humans, especially this dad. <laughs> as I have a daughter and I'm like, open a window. <laughs> and don't light a match. But I did find that fascinating. I find it hard to believe that the writers of Under the Dome have gone this deep into 
how they're writing the pod people and all of the things that have happened. But uh, the discussion there, fascinating stuff. And I wonder why God made butterflies and caterpillars so different than all the rest of the creatures here on Earth. I know. It, it, it's amazing when you think about it. And when we wrap this all up, you get this last segment, which I think really brings home that something is going to be very different about this third season of Under the Dome. Uh, Matthew Cobb told me this story about this guy. This uh, 17th century man who I never had never heard of. Jean, uh, his name's written Swamadam, but it's probably more pronounced Schwamadam. 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 Schwamadam, okay. <laughs> That's Jan Schwamadam, a Dutch microscopist from the 1600s. He was definitely the first to do some very clear dissections of the uh, chrysalis. And the caterpillar. And one day... In Paris, in front of this crowd of assembled worthies, bewigged and uh, bestocking... He gets a fat white caterpillar... Gets a scalpel or a tiny little thin bit of glass and he dissects it. He just opens it up at the back, along its oh. back, a long line. And what he sees inside, or what he can show them, is that in fact there are some of the structures of the future... Uh, butterfly, its wings, its antennae, okay. uh, uh, and even its legs that are actually already formed even before pupation takes place. So you peel back the skin of a caterpillar and beneath it you see the, a new, the new creature hidden. Absolutely. Wait, the, the, and the wings also survive the goo? Yeah, so it's like the caterpillar will actually start to grow little tiny adult parts that are super thin and transparent, and it just keeps them tightly rolled up and hidden up against the edges of the chrysalis, but they don't actually ever go through the goo oh. or become the goo. What he then shown was, you know what, this isn't about death, this isn't about decay, this is actually about transformation. We all have a part to play, Christine says. So we all have mm. this role in this transformation. And listening to this again and then watching the episode on Thursday night, I was like, man, wouldn't it be cool? Because Christine was talking about how it, it, I got the feeling that she was clearly not 100% human. Now, it's not to say that we talk about aliens and we think, you know, bad aliens. Could it be like in the movie, uh, I think it was Mission to Mars, where they found out that actually the aliens were our descendants and they had to leave their planet, come to earth, populate earth to eventually return home back to Mars. And could this be the same concept where she is human, but she's a different evolved type of human that she was able to talk to wolves in Nebraska, for example. <laughs> and could these people have this ability, right? Could our current 20 year old self or 30 year old self have our 60 year old self inside of us and we just don't know it. So could they be part alien and not know that they could sprout into something different if the metamorphosis change from the egg could have been completed? Well, I tell you what, my friend, that could very well be. I That makes perfect sense. And if she happens to have a little tattoo on her shoulder that says Cochise, like on the uh, future show, Falling Skies, I think it's all going to come together. I would not be surprised at all. Bones in the making. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to wait and see. But yeah, I thought I found that very interesting. So we'll link to the entire Radiolab episode so that you can hear that all for yourself. It's about, again about 15 minutes on the butterfly segment. I just thought it was absolutely fascinating. Tied right into the show. Let us know what you think. Give us a call. Plus one nine zero four 
469-7469 or send in your feedback at feedback at underthedomeradio.com and let us know if you liked that segment and if you found any of it interesting like we did. With that, we're going to move into our other newest segment for this season. It's our Big Jim Quippy Liner of the Week. Of course, for last week, we had Big Hair or Big TV, and Big Hair was the clear winner. No shocker there. No. But I was surprised. It was almost an even split on the second episode between Big Punch and Big Red. I don't know. Which one did you like better there? When they were fighting with Julia or when he was teaming up with Julia? I liked it when he was fighting against Julia. That seems more their natural state. So the big punch, that one was my clear winner for for the second episode of the doubleheader. Yeah, and it was clear. Like I, I really thought they were going to team up, and then Big Jim's like, wait, I, I helped you in this episode. I helped you save the town, and now you're still angry with me? Even still, now you're still angry with me? And she's like, well, it doesn't erase what you did. And that's partly true. I mean, we are what we do, right? That's going to be our, our line for the rest of the season, I guess, because it was said twice. And him leaving, I, I just wonder what message that's going to send to the people of Chester's Mill. Oh, he's guilty. Look at him run away. Or is it going to show a sign of strength because he was able to regroup and come back with reinforcements? It's going to be hard to tell which way they go. But personally, I think I don't blame Jim, Big Jim at all. He needs to just get away let the town go a little bit crazy and he can kind of regroup his thoughts and try to sort this out because he does have a little bit of evidence and he does have a plan. I mean, big Jim, as we learned in season one, he always has a plan. So he's already hatching something. Well, our clips this week start off right away at the beginning of the episode where big Jim confronts junior coming out of the hole. I saved you. You should be thanking me. You were a weak Little kid, I just tried to make you strong. Stronger without you. Where? In your little make-believe cocoon world? You're still weak. You're pathetic and afraid. You can punch that dome as many times as you need to, Junior. You're back under it. I love the kind of double entendre he uses there. You can punch the dome as many times as you want, but you're back under it. Kind of like, you could hit me if you want, kid. Cause I have a really nice bald dome using a, a razor and you could punch me in the head all you want, but guess what? You're living back under my house. So I love that there was kind of the plan words in that clip. Absolutely. And although that particular clip didn't have humor tied to it very much compared to most of the other ones that big Jim has Dean Norris just knocks it out of the park. One of the best parts of the episode. And I just give him full props for that. His acting is superb, and he's pretty scary in that scene. You got to admit. That you do. If you like that one, make sure you vote on Twitter. Click on the show notes. It'll tweet it out for you automatically. Hashtag Big Dad. Our second one, of course, is when Big Jim, because he has no family left or house because his son burnt it down, finds a new best friend. Get out of my boat. Home. You ever hear of the designated survivor? He goes off on his own when the president and all the bigwigs are doing the State of the Union. Well, bud, that's you and me. Me out there in Bird Island. Bud is now the name of the dog. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> Another excellent uh, scene there. And Big Jim talking sense. He, it makes perfect sense to me what he's doing and why he's doing it. I don't understand how the dog ties in, but I know the listeners that called in, uh, you're going to hear in a little bit, they share a few thoughts on that. Yeah, and I love how he's just like, go home. Get out of my boat. <laughs> Dog's like, nope, I'm here. Hashtag big dog. If you like that clip, again, tweet it out right on the show notes. You can click there. It'll do it for you. Or go ahead and use the clamors as we put those out through the course of the week. So big dad, if you like the first one with Junior or big dog, if you want to go home and get out of Big Jim's boat. Now, big uh, quick question. Dog, D-O-G or D-A-W-G? Oh, that's a good point. D-O-G. Okay, just yeah. clarifying so we can properly calculate the votes. Yeah, the dog's name was not Randy Jackson. It was Bud. <laughs> okay, good. Just to be clear, dog. Uh, okay, with that, ratings time for this episode so we can get into these fantastic voicemails. You watched it twice. I only watched it one and a half times. So I will secede the floor to you. Oh, that's how we're going to decide these things. Oh, my goodness. I'm going to give this episode. No, no, no. no, Wait, wait. Before you say anything, take into account all the cool stuff you just learned tonight. Does that change your opinion? No, because that has nothing to do with the actual episode. Which, based on all things rolled into the episode of Redux Redo, I'm going to give this episode of Under the Dome 3.5 out of 10 magnetic moon minions. And thank goodness there were so many awesome scenes with Big Jim or the rating would have been a bit lower. It's 3.5 almost solely on Big Jim Rennie. Wow. Didn't like it at all, hey? Even after all that cool stuff. Oh my goodness. No, no, I, that stuff was cool. This episode, not cool. Well, I'll, I'll be sure to submit my writing application then to Amblin Entertainment for their next pilot. (laughs) (laughs) Well, how about you? Are you a little more encouraging with this episode? I, I am actually, you know, I really liked the explanation from Christine about the eggs and it tied into Eric LaSalle's mentioning of the meteors fell and that there were more egg fragments around and they're, basically like the archaeologist egg hunters. So it actually gave them a purpose and a reason to be in Chester's mill. Unlike Nori, who was just happened to be driving through. So I kind of like that a little bit. I I actually like Christine and up until the end of the episode at at the end of the episode, when she was kind of like, Ooh, I'm the queen. And then looked up at the moon. That was a little weird, but (laughs) a little, but her and Ava, I think are, are probably, like I said, the best two character additions that have actually made some kind of sense and some kind of likability uh, wow. to the show. Cause nobody really liked Rick Pine. Nobody really liked Melanie. Not that they don't like, you know, the, the actresses that played them, of course, just, just right. the characters. Exactly. Um, so I, I think these people fit in a little bit more to the story. And I, I like that. And then of course, all these cool tie-ins and I'm like, maybe we're just not going deep enough with the show. We're just trying to, we're watching it on the surface. And if this truly does come to fruition, then this is some really great setup stuff. So I'm going to have to give this one a seven out of 10. Yes. Seven. It was deeper. There was character building. We got crazy junior from the book. I mean, there was just lots of good stuff in this episode. It wasn't executed very well, but when (laughs) it was executed well, it was entertaining, enjoyable and thought provoking. So yeah, seven out of 10 mixtape listening Katniss wannabes. Oh, now that's a very clever rating. And speaking of the execution, and people that have been executed, I 
now miss Rebecca Pine. You've said that a couple times. I'm, I, I'm worried that you're going to start saying you're going to you're going to miss Maxine as well. <laughs> I might, depending on how things go on future episodes. <laughs> uh, hey, it, every season has a dip. We remember the, you know, we can't talk about the Fight Club, but the episode that had that aspect to it was the big dip in season one. And so maybe this is just the dip and they're getting it out of the way early. Let's be ever hopeful as we head into future episodes. Right, Troy? Yeah. And it just dawned on me. Episode two of last season was Hungry Hunger Caterpillars. So the Caterpillars were still there. It's all tied together. Yes, oh yes, absolutely. And they ran away from the smell of the gas when they were crop dusted by Barbie in his plane. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of crop dusting and all sorts of other jobs that you can have in and around Chester's Mill or around the planet, the job market, like we've mentioned before, it's getting competitive, more competitive all the time in Chester's Mill with the addition of all these new characters this season, which means that you need the skills to stay ahead of the competition. And that's where lynda.com comes to the rescue. Now, they can't necessarily rescue from the dome, but they can help you if you visit lynda.com slash dome, you will get 10 days of free learning That'll help you jumpstart your new skill or even master your current craft. For instance, Chester's Mill needs a leader. And with Big Jim, Julia, and now Christine, a few good leadership courses could go actually a long way in becoming that leader this town desperately needs. Especially a course like Creating Psychological Safety from Amy Edmondson is a must to learn how to keep people feeling safe and secure when you are a leader. Lynda.com slash dome will give you access to over 3,000 video courses taught by expert teachers on any device you wish, even a Microsoft service tablet. But most importantly, you, citizens of Chester's Mill, can watch them offline with an annual premium membership, which is great in case Acteon Energy messes with the internet. Start your 10-day learning journey at lynda.com slash dome. That's lynda.com slash dome. Try it free today. Well, it's that time, everybody. The awesome time where we get to talk to all of you, and it is awesome this week. But because we love being with you, we just wanted to remind you that we're all in this together. So let's kick it off. The voicemails are open. 904-469-7469 is the number you need to remember. Again, get those in by 8 p.m. Eastern on Fridays to be part of the show. And a new caller kicks it off. This one from Jonathan. Hey, guys. This is Jonathan Desperon. I'm from uh, Zebulon, North Carolina. This is my first time calling in, so if it doesn't make any sense, I apologize. But I'm just going to jump right into it. Last night on your live broadcast, you said something about Christine's arm just like disintegrating. That took me back to season one. When the caterpillar appeared in the mini-dome, that was out of the blue. Something in maybe Christine is the caterpillar. And then when Christine hatched into the monarch butterfly, that's the monarch will be crowned. So maybe Christine is this crowned monarch and that also could tie into the to the tunnels like christine is uh in the queen cocoon i guess you can say and when all the chester millions are in their cocoons you got all these monarch butterflies flying around and when they come out of their cocoons the butterflies die so that has to relate in some way and you also said last night on your broadcast um true stephen king fans would understand how Christine's name ties into the show. If it ties in how I think it will, Christine is like a possessed car in Stephen King's book, Christine. She basically kills anyone who messes with 
the owner of the car. It's Artie or Arnie. I don't remember his name. Something like that. So if that doesn't, I think it is. Christine is kind of there to deliver them from the dome. It's kind of like what Aaron Arnett said in the show in season two and last week. But maybe not a legit spaceship, but, you know, metaphorically, she's there to deliver them from the dome. She's going to make them into what she needs them to be, and she's going to deliver them from the dome. Those are my two big things. And then I got a couple small things, like, uh, why didn't Big Jim expose Ava and Christine when he had the chance? Why didn't he just go ahead and do it? And why did Christine kill Melanie? Like, that makes no sense. You would think Christine would need Melanie. I, I don't get it. So, I mean, I know she's just trying to play it off as... She has nothing to do with this at all, but she does. So I'm just hoping you guys can give me some answers. I'm hoping uh, other callers can give me answers, and that's all for me. Peace out. Jonathan, thank you so very much for calling into the listener line. Great to hear from you. Some excellent things that you talked about there. And the big question I know a lot of people are talking about as well, like you mentioned, why is Big Jim keeping it a secret what he found on that uh, GoPro or whatever that camera was. Yeah. That's the first thing I thought of. It's like, if you found it, why didn't you share it with Julia? At least while you were ranting with her before you got in the boat, say, here, keep this safe. You're going to want to watch this. I'm going to take off for a little while, but keep it safe. It's important. Exactly. And I also like the fact that he was talking about uh, Melanie and why Christine ended up killing Melanie. And I was surprised it didn't happen sooner when they were down in the tunnels together. She really? was supposed to keep everything going, and she'd failed. So if she is the queen monarch, if she is the one that should be crowned, then I would assume she would have just gutted her right there and put her right next to Ben's body. Nah, that would have been interesting. It was a bit of a surprise. I did not think she was going to be coming up behind her and just stab her with that knife out of almost nowhere. But remember, she picked up on the knife, and the Amblin tele- television zoom in on the knife. Very important. <laughs> I thought it was initially a nod back to the John Locke. Make sure you pick the right weapon because she had that profound. We are what we do statement. So when she picked up the knife, I was like, Oh, just like John Locke picked up the knife. Interesting tie in there, Troy. It's all, all up here in my dome thinking about all this stuff. <laughs> but uh, Jonathan, thanks. Great call. Great topic points and things we need to keep an eye on. And I do believe a couple of the other listener voicemails coming up may answer one or two of the other questions a lot better than I can. With that, let's go ahead and move on to a returning caller, Mr. Hank Davis. Hi, guys. This is Hank from the Falling Skies Fan Podcast, located at tpenetwork.com. A few bones to pick with this episode, number one being Nori and Hunter moving that body. You couldn't really convince me that those two characters would move a dead body. They're just carrying on in the other room as if nothing happened. I didn't believe that for a second. Number two, Joe with the snare. I mean, of course, we don't want to have to debate this on a television show, but the townspeople want food. Joe, you're going to go set a snare. What did he think was going to happen with the snare? The moment of the episode that was the craziest part to me was Julia's ego. What did you do after you thought I was dead and all this stuff? Just that female super ego wanting to know if you could survive another day without them. I chuckled at that point and I said, typical. And then that led to a series of events that have me stuck on the couch. I told you guys the cocoon memories were real. Told you. And everything with it is going to be real. We're going to see it. So that's going to be interesting. 
And then what is it? You have to be a redhead to be on the show at this point. Seemed to be a lot of redheads. Even the dog was a redhead. The dog was probably the best actor on the episode. Showed me a lot of range as he played his role in this one. So he was the only thing going for this episode, in my opinion. I really hope things pick up and get better in the coming episodes. Still love the podcast. Keep up the good work, guys. And I'll chime in when there's something positive for me to say. <laughs> Hank Davis. Awesome stuff. And the comment about the redheads, uh, Ginger Nation, whatever you want to call it. The fact that they're adding so many to the show, that makes me feel like I've got a much better chance of getting on there someday. Just saying. The dog is a redhead. <laughs> that was awesome. I'll be crying. I'm laughing so hard. Oh, my goodness. And Hank, what you brought up there reminded me of one of my least favorite lines from this week's episode when uh, Christine says, Joe, basically, Joe, you've got all this technical skill. You go build a snare. I'm like, are you serious? Did that just really happen on the episode? And he doesn't want to save the pig. And of course, Katniss shows up, kills the pig. <sighs> well, the thing with Joe and the snare, this, this was very interesting, too, because I honestly legitimately believe that Joe would have snared the pig and killed the pig. I think it was because he saw Andrea Grinnell's body and the way it was treated, that that had some kind of emotional pull on him. Oh, heck that, yeah. That then caused him to say, no, you know what, piggy, you're okay. We got enough food for right now. Someone will capture you another day. I think if he hadn't seen Andrea's body, then he probably would have brought the pig back to the town. But seeing that, you know, little different perspective on things. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing the deleted scene where Joe takes her advice because he's working on this drum kit. He's got two kick drums, a couple of toms, some cymbals. He, he needs to still build a snare to complete drum set. And that's what I wanted to see. <laughs> couldn't resist. Couldn't resist. Couldn't resist at all. Well, our favorite person all the way from Okinawa, Japan, had so much to say. She had to call in twice. That's how important the show is to her. So take it away. Hey, Wayne. Hey, Troy. This is Krista calling from Okinawa. Let's start with Julia. Okay, let's be real about Julia. I don't know what school of journalism that she went to, but let's all endeavor not to send our children to that school because Julia is not very bright. She does not have an inquiring mind, and she's also very, very gullible. So we don't want to go to her school of journalism. Let's move on to Christine. Wayne, 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 what do you mean you don't like Christine? Christine was Catherine on CSI. And if you don't like Christine, then that means you don't like CSI. And how can you not like CSI? So you must like CSI, so therefore you must like Christine. And Troy, you mentioned that you thought her arm disintegrated. Well, I, it didn't look like disintegration to me. It looked like when she held that, that egg that she was like the real Christine, uh, you know, a proper anthropologist or whatever she is, or, or is it archaeologist? But anyway, it seemed like that the egg kind of like went into or the, it went into her body because it seemed like her, her hand and her arm turned to like an alien hand, an alien arm. So it didn't look like disintegration, but it kind of looked like it transformed to like an alien hand or, or an alien arm or something like that. There's a couple scenes that was very reminiscent of the book that in, uh, with this aliens. You know when they were in the pods? I'll tell you what it reminded me of. Do you remember the Stephen King book, Tommyknockers? 
in Tommyknockers, there was an alien that, uh, ship that crashed into Earth, and what they did is they used humans to power the ship. They used humans as batteries. They dunked them in some solution and then used it to charge. And when I saw those pods, I said, this looks like the whole battery system thing happening again. Um, also, you asked about Ava being pregnant. Um, she's not pregnant by Barbie because that state that they were in was a joint dream state. You call it, Troy, the ghost. I don't call it ghost. It was a kind of a joint dream state. But Ava's not pregnant by Barbie because that really wasn't happening. They were all having a shared dream. But Ava might be pregnant or she might be carrying some alien something. That might come up only because she mentioned her possible pregnancy. And then finally, um, Wayne, you know, you have really clouded my judgment because you don't like the love scenes. And when I saw the Julia Barbie thing, back to Julia again, and she made that stupid statement, do you love her? Of course he loves her. Have you looked at Ava? <laughs> there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. And I figured that was a good point to uh, pause Krista's thoughts. <laughs> what do you think, Troy? Oh, man. I, I'm going to go back to Julia in the journalism school because Big Jim called her out in the season premiere, right? Would I actually show you the body if I killed it? Would I bring you over here? I mean, I 100% agree. This has been, she's always been the worst reporter I've ever seen. <laughs> Even all the way back to the propane stuff when Andrea Grinnell's like, dude, there's something going on over there. Turn around and look, lady. <laughs> and yeah, actually, Krista, and thank you so much for uh, calling in a few times. I edited them together and uh, spliced it out so we could have some good talking points and uh, pausing points. But yeah, CSI, totally fine, totally fine CSI. Uh, Christine on Under the Dome, not so good. <laughs> I know everybody else. Well, not everybody. Uh, for example, Sarah on Facebook replied, this was a weird episode, and they're all becoming the psychiatrist puppet who I can't stand that psychiatrist, and Sarah hopes Big Jim and Joe and Julia can save the day. So I'm not alone in my whole thoughts about her, but you made some great points in there, Krista, and bringing up Stephen King Tommy Knockers. How about that one? That is a nice one because I remembered the human batteries part of that. I never thought about it, but then I was like, oh, man. Aaron's going to be super excited because there is a spaceship underground and they were just waiting for it to power up and big Jim smashed the egg. So the spaceship couldn't take off. They're going to have to fix it. They're but, definitely going to have to fix it. I mean, how great is it though, that you get a Tommy knockers reference, you're getting Christine's reference about the killer car. Uh, the, all of the Stephen King stuff is kind of coming together. And then you have, of course the Acteon energy acting like North central positronics from the dark tower. I mean, all this stuff coming together, very, very interesting to see how all of Stephen King's works are coming through. I'm, I'm waiting for uh, a time-traveling 112263 situation to happen. That would be fantastic. And last week's Screeching Butterflies did uh, remind me just a little bit of the Langoliers. <laughs> so did the writing, but that's a different story. <laughs> uh, here is Krista's second part of her voicemail. I forgot one thing. I couldn't depart without saying something about Big Jim. Big Jim is not the Big Jim of the book. He's an awesome Big Jim. He is the only voice of reason in the entire town. Thank goodness for Big Jim. When I saw him get into his little boat and say, you know what? I don't know what's going on around here, but I can tell when something crazy is about to happen. And he's like, I'm getting out of here. He even knew whatever was happening was over his head. 
And I just about laughed when that dog jumped into the boat because I felt the exact same way as the dog. I said, you know what, if I was in that town, I would have jumped in the boat. And Jim would have said, get out, get out. And I would have been saying, nope, I ain't going nowhere. We're all going across to that island together. So that dog is a smart dog, and I would have been right there with him. And I do think that, no, and the dog is not a dream dog because everybody right now is in real life. But I do think that the reason why the dog is with Big Jim is because Big Jim's about to go over to that island and be by himself. And if I remember correctly, right now the only people who who did not go into a pod was Big Jim and Julia. I think those are the only two. So I think that the aliens probably realize that if there is a threat to them from under the dome, it's going to be Big Jim. So I think that they're going to do some mind control with those people and maybe all those uh, the townspeople are going to try to attack Big Jim. Somehow the dog is either going to save him or he's, the dog is going to warn him, Big Jim because you know how animals have that special sixth sense. So I think that's why the dog is over there with uh, with him. So anyway, I just wanted to mention that. And also at the very end when they were kind of all were all transfixed and they were looking up like toward the moon, that kind of was reminiscent of the Stephen King book Cell. Do you remember the book Cell? Mm-hmm. Where, when the people who were on their cell phones got zapped in their heads and they're, they're like their whole memories and everything and something something is mind controlling them and or whatever. That just kind of reminded me of that, too. But anyway, Oyasumi Nasai, talk to you later, and see you under the dome. Krista, fantastic way to finish up. Thank you for your calls. That was great stuff. And that's a Stephen King book I've never even heard of. Sell more Stephen King tie-ins. Yeah, I mean, immediately when the dog was there, and then she kept talking, like, maybe the dog's going to save Big Jim. I thought uh, our little Billy Bumbler friend saving Roland. A Oi. couple of times Oi. from the Dark Tower. So, yeah, maybe this is a, a call back to Oi, the Billy Bumbler. That would be fantastic because I love Oi, Egg, Moon. Krista, also, great thing you mentioned there about the fact that Julia and Jim are probably the only two that didn't go into the pods. So they're relatively normal, except for Julia, who's not very bright and is very gullible, like you said. So, If there's an alien involvement, they could be already tracking Big Jim. And that's why everybody is not making any sense at all. But Big Jim is and they are after him. I know it's crazy when you think about that. There's only two people that weren't cocooned. And this is a complete plausible storyline that Big Jim has to regroup because he's the only one left because Julia still has her faith and she's making her blind, deaf and dumb because she's pining after Barbie to win him back from Ava. And because of that, she's probably going to get converted at some point. And then big Jim will be the last one standing for his town. And now that we know that Julia has seen Ava, she has the answer to her question. That's right. He doesn't love me anymore. Oh, let's see what uh, Mr. Jim from Nebraska, hopefully those wolves weren't talking to him at all. Or Christine got to him by chance, whoever knows, but Jim from Nebraska, take it away. Greetings. I have just finished watching Under the Dome Redo, and my question is, in what direction is this show going? I'm not sure why they are using an egg for the symbol is the dome when they should be using the triangle. There are two triangles happening that really drag me down. First, there is the Julia Barbie Ava triangle. Then, there is the Hunter Nori Joe triangle. On the first, yes, Ava is pregnant and will have some sort of pink star child that will complicate the plot even more. 
it will most likely be an accelerated pregnancy and accelerated growth situation where we will be expecting to receive all of the answers, but, as it has become the norm for this show, none will be forthcoming. As far as the Hunter Nori Joe thing, your guess is as good as mine on how that will develop. I do have a theory about one scene that happened in Redo. When Joe arrived on the scene at Andrea's house, and we could hear Hunter and Nori laughing and giggling in the background, I can only think they must have been looking at next week's script. I have to say, though, the highlight of this show for me is Big Jim, as he always has been, who seems to have had enough and has decided to take a camping trip to the island with the only friend he has left, a mysterious canine that is probably going to turn out to be an observer for Christine, who has been possessed by an egg alien or whatever happens to be behind this show. Speaking of that, wasn't Christine once a car that was also possessed by an evil spirit that had the power to manipulate people into doing what she wanted in another Stephen King story? Hmm. The promos for Redo promised that all will be revealed. I will be spending the next week trying to figure out exactly what was revealed in Redo, other than a whole lot of really bad writing. Well, there it is. <laughs> I love it, Jim. Thank you so very much for recording that, putting that together and sending it in all the way from Nebraska. And Jim, he also told us on Facebook, he graduated from the same college as the actress that plays Christine. So there could be a little bit of a tie-in that we're going to have to keep an eye on there. But also bringing up more Stephen King. And Jim agrees with Krista that Ava is pregnant, but it's with an alien's baby. A, not just a star child, a pink star child specifically. I well, love, I love that throw in tie. <laughs> <laughs> we we have to have the exact shade of lovely pink. So female baby then think pink. I'm not sure, but <laughs> that was good stuff. Jim, thank you so much for uh, calling in and putting that together. Things to think about. Um, what do you, what do you think, Troy? Well, I, I love the candor, right? I mean, there, there is some parts of the show where you're kind of watching. You're like, Oh man, did they really just write that? The high school play I saw last week was better than that. But then there's other parts of the show where you're like, okay, well that kind of makes sense. And that's really interesting. And a lot of it revolves around big Jim, but the fact that he's jumping right to the dog being an implanted alien for Christine to spy on big Jim, I was like, okay, now we're back to falling skies because it's like the, the mosquitoes or the worms that implant in your body and then take you over or turn you into a spy for the Ashvini. So yeah, I guess our Falling Skies Under the Dome Amblin crossover tie-in will continue if that actually comes to fruition. Either that or the dog could be a Stephen King Ujo. Ooh, that's a good one, too. Mm, kill Big it's Jim just by the island all right himself. now. Not good. Not good. Not good. Watch out, Big Jim. It's coming for you. Uh, well, Aaron checked in from Wisconsin and said there are people on the Under the Dome message boards who feel this season of the Under the Dome is like, ah, oh, the Tommyknockers and Marge, who plays Christine, was actually in the movie, the Tommyknockers. Did you know that? I had no clue. I have to admit, I haven't seen Tommyknockers yet. Uh, with all the people that have talked about it and how it ties into this episode, possibly, I'm going to need to at least 
read the book Tommy Knockers or rent the movie since Marge is in there. And I liked Marge on CSI. I'll probably like her in Tommy Knockers, but not so much on Under the Dome just yet. <laughs> oh, man. Can you believe it? We still have two more voicemails to get through. And this is great stuff. And here he is. You've been waiting for it all episode. Here is Mr. Aaron Arnett Jr. back again with his report. This is a special news update for Under the Dome Radio. My first note this week, why is it that Hunter, of course, has to help Nori out of the hole? I sense this thing between him, Nori, and Joe is going to be an annoying love triangle all season. Junior, on the other hand, why did he come out of the cocoon hole place looking exactly the way he did in the virtual reality? Why would he look that way when he went in in his little half-cup uniform? Speaking of Junior, clearly he doesn't understand that he was only in the cocoon for mere minutes while the rest of the town was maybe in for hours. Speaking of the alternate reality, first off, I'd like to say that it really annoys me that they're actually calling it The Matrix. Also, something that made me angry about this is that in the show opener, when Barbie is saying, We were trapped under the dome for three weeks or however long it was, but did we really get out or is it just an alternate reality? Why would you give away the whole premise to the season in the intro? So, Melanie, is she Melanie or is she not Melanie? Because last week she said she was not Del Barbara Senior or whatever. Is Melanie Melanie or is Melanie not Melanie or is she a different Melanie? We do not know. Last week she said she was not that Melanie. But this week she says she is the Melanie that touched the egg. I am very confused. Big Jim is the hero this season, it seems. He found the condemning evidence on a really crappy version of a GoPro. Speaking of media devices, it's a really good thing that when Hunter put in that tape to play for Nori, that it was queued up to the song he wanted to play. Speaking of Nori, she sure is acting like a piece of trash this season. And oh my goodness, they're going to the moon! Oh, the humanity! For everybody here at Under the Dome Radio, Sir Wayne, Sir Troy, I'm at Erin Arnett Jr. This has been an Under the Dome Radio news update. Stay tuned for the Ovaltine Hour. Oh, man. I was so glad that I had my 1930s receiver to pick up that transmission. We had to invent some time travel just to get that from Aaron Arnett Jr. That's fantastic stuff. And more Oval Team, please. Oh, that's so good. So good. Okay. So he talks about Hunter and his helping hand, oh, which I think we was, have to talk about Hunter. Well, his name's Hunter. And yet here is Nori doing the hunting. You would think that Max would be able to pull that bow and take him out. And she has a new nickname from Aaron. <laughs> Wow. What a piece of trash she is this year. But I I loved, Aaron, how you called them out for actually using the phrase The Matrix in this episode. That, I thought, was kind of like breaking the third wall, but also kind of like it just going too low. Yeah. It's like, did they pre-write that in or did they like shoot it and re-add it after all the comments last week? It's funny how the audience is like so in tune with the show. Maybe we're all communicating through some kind of underground subterranean 
egg-channeling force. Well, we're going to need a clearer signal. And to the moon, Troy, to the moon. Junior. Now, this one's interesting because I actually have some thoughts on this. So he said he looked like he did coming out of the cocoon like he did in the virtual world. I thought he had taken off his police uniform and had just the white T-shirt when he went into the cocoon or was captured by Melanie at that point. And therefore, when he comes out of the cocoon, he still has the white T-shirt on, even though he did have the black leather jacket on with the white T-shirt underneath. That was just the style. So I don't think that's so much to worry about. However, the time period thing about him only being in the cocoon for minutes, when he comes to the Sweetbriar Rose in that season opener and talks to Barbie, it's like, oh, man, no, I saw you like last week. Right. And Barbie's the one that's confused about not seeing Junior. But Junior acts like he's had the memories the whole time, which leads me to the question did he have memories implanted into him, even though he was only in there for minutes? That still makes it for Junior feel like an entire year. That's very possible. He may have been injected with some lessons on jujitsu and other things like that as well. That was a great catch, Aaron. And a, Troy, great explanation on that one as well. Because we don't know yet whether or not Junior really made it to the sock hop. <laughs> Oh, such great characters. I mean, the character development this season, I think, is really what's got me interested in season three compared to season two. I'm really excited to see where it goes, even if they are just moon looking zombies. Now, are you sure this isn't just a middle school, not even high school, maybe a middle school play that eh, CBS just happened to videotape and now it's a TV show? No, no, no. I mean, I know you and Jim and Hank and some people are like the writing's a little bit weak in some areas, but I think that they're trying to recover from the disaster that happened when Brian K. Vaughn left the show. Because, I mean, season one, even though we had Fight Club and Maxine, for the most part, season one with the with the Ollie story and the junior story and then coming back around at the end with Barbie in jail and the, and the murders at the radio station, season one was pretty decent all around, I would say. You'd probably give it like an eight. You know, so I think maybe they're trying to get back to that point. It's just going to take some time to set up some of these new stories. And then when the new stories pay off, you're going to be like, oh, well, maybe they do know what they're thinking about, even though they didn't in season two. Well, like I said, this episode and maybe even the season opener were just dips. And this week it dipped a little more. And, you know, I definitely have the hope that it's going to turn around. And some of the plot devices and things I think could definitely go a good direction, especially with some of the ideas that you had as well, Troy. To be quite frank, they've got to ditch all of this teeny bopper stuff with Nori and Hunter and all of that garbage on this episode and the previous episodes because it's a waste of time and it just makes it look like this show is being written by teeny boppers for teeny boppers with no regard to how people, you know, any older than 23 might care about a TV show. I'm yeah. just throwing it out there. That's just how I feel. But they're trying to get that demographic. I mean, that's the thing. You need to have some teeny bopper stuff to bring in those 18 to 25 year olds. But did they, they not? With. But you got to learn the lessons of what happened to V as soon as V turned into a teeny bopper show. Well, you know, they're just they're just prepping, you know, in case CBS drops them, then it can move over to the CW. It's still owned by CBS. So they still make money on the deal. You know, it, it, it's a plan. That I'm. Hey, I'm going to watch all the rest of the episodes, and I'm having a great time recording the podcast. I just am hoping that the episodes are more like uh, previous seasons. I'm sure that it's going to get better. Just this week was, I, and I watched the episode twice, just saying. 
Well, we got one more. Let's see what our good friend Neil from Bowie has to say about this week's episode. Hello, this is Neil from Bowie calling into Under the Dome Radio for Under the Dome Season 3, Episode 3, Redux. Let's see. Uh, they mentioned uh, previously that uh, the cocoons were supposed to fix them, and we did see signs of that from Hunter's eyes to Junior's shoulder wound. So nicely paid off there. We now know what Melanie's job was. But instead of firing her for messing up, Christine set her up to take a fall so that she could kill her and gain Julia's trust in saving Julia. That was pretty nasty business. I think the dog is connected to the dome somehow. It may be some kind of agent, but we'll have to see how that plays out. From the holding hands at the end of the episode, it looks like little Eva may be doing the locomotion with Barbie again. So we also saw near the end that Big Jim trying to convince Julia, I'm right about them. But he doesn't even show her the camera video. What's up with that? So the Dome's agenda is to survive and propagate. How that relates to everything that's happened so far is still a mystery to me. Well, I'm interested in finding out how it all fits together. I'm looking forward to more events under the Dome. Neil. From Bowie, thank you so very much. Great to hear from you. You've called in so many times in the past. Good to hear from you yet again. And you made a great point of something that I, in hindsight, it makes sense, but I can't believe I didn't catch it, was possibly Christine set up Melanie from the beginning to take the fall and didn't just decide to murder her, you know, all of a sudden. What do you think? Well, Melanie would have touched the egg when the meteor shower happened in 87, which means Christine wouldn't have even known about it unless Christine happened to be in the Chester's Mill area at the time working for Acteon or going to school or whatever at the college. And then Christine comes later and finds the egg at the exact same spot where it did land, where Melanie dropped it and they buried it because of the whole death situation of Melanie. So I'm curious to know, was Christine around back in 87 when all of this went down? Excellent question. I don't know yet, but I like that. She talked like it seemed like she was there in 87, like she was part of the original four hands or at least a friend of the four hand group. And so I'd really like to go back and just watch that scene again as she's explaining that to make sure I didn't hear it wrong. But I thought she said she was around in 87. Hmm. And I have heard some people, another thing that Christine mentioned that I've heard some people kind of talk about in all sorts of wild theories that I think we just need to keep an eye on is she said something when she was talking to Ava about, uh, you know, we discover ancient civilizations. And I don't think that necessarily means they've, they have discovered like alien civilizations or even that they themselves have discovered ancient civilizations. I just believe she was saying that their line of work discovers ancient civilizations and digs them up. I don't think that's tied to aliens. I mean, I it could because I've seen some of the crazy theories out there, but we're going to have to wait and see. What do you think? That's a good point, actually, because I watched that scene and I took it exactly meaning as, you know, we've been able to discover ancient civilizations, meaning like they've been around for a long time, right? If we can find these civilizations, we can find an egg. So I took it as they're aliens and they've been here for longer than we know. And they've been able to find and we were able to talk to wolves and convince them to what we want to get. So that that was a clear thing like, okay, there's something going on here. And it goes back to 
the ghosts, Alice, you know, when they first saw her, it's like, well, we're having trouble learning how to communicate with you. And so that's very interesting on how they can maybe bridge that gap. So I, I took it literally as aliens that have been around for a while, but she could have been talking in the collective we, Ustedes. Correct. And wolves may or may not mean actual canine animals. It could have just been like humans that are like wolves, uh, you know, that that's their personality. They could just be calling them. A lot of people are called wolves. I don't or, know. Just or, keep an eye on. Yeah, or, they, they could be uh, robots that look like wolves controlled by a supercomputer. They could very well be. And they, uh, they be from the Kala. It could be, they could be. Well, great stuff. So much to think about. I don't, yes. I don't have no idea how we're going to give out this uh, honorary under the dome radio DJ of the week this week. Do you have a vote, Mr. Sir Wayne? Yes, it's all very, very close, but I'm going to go ahead. I believe the honorary guest DJ of the week, because much like uh, some elections in some countries can't necessarily win two weeks in a row, but I'm going to give the honorary guest DJ of the week this time to Krista, not only for her excellent observations and calling out me and calling out you by name on a couple of things in her calls, referencing theories from other people and altogether making three calls from Japan. So Krista, Congratulations, honorary Under the Dome Radio DJ of the Week and Domo Arigato Goi Zamasu. And forgive me for mispronouncing part of that. Yes. And the three calls were because we took one of her, two of her calls and put it together to make one voicemail for today. Just in case you were like, wait, I only heard two. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. All right. Well, with that, let's go ahead and move into our investigative reporting. Well, as you know, it is a summer show, and in the summer comes this thing in San Diego in the middle of July called Comic-Con, and next week is July 9th, the start of Comic-Con, so this will be our pre-Comic-Con episode, and then hopefully they will showcase the rest of the season like they did last year, where they showcased Barbie going into the abyss off the cliff at Comic-Con, so it'll be interesting to see. So if you happen to be at Comic-Con, or you know anybody that's going to Comic-Con that's got interesting tips, spoilers, news, whatever, make sure to send them in feedback at underthedomeradio.com. So, July 9th, spoiler section. If you don't want to know about next week's episode, crank it down for five, come on back. Christine is going to play mind games with the residents of Chester's Mill, urging them towards their specific people and projects that remind them of their time down in the tunnels. On Under the Dome, Thursday, July 9th, entitled The Kinship. Under the guise of helping Chester's Mill rebuild, Christine urges the townspeople towards these individuals and projects and reminds them of their experience. Meanwhile, Julia and Big Jim make more shocking discoveries that reveal a new threat within the dome. Oh, see, see? Oh, my. A third party. A third party. It's coming. It's going to happen. We're going to be right. You have talked about this third party faction since the beginning, Troy. And let's see. I have no idea what or who it could be. If they just bring on somebody we've never seen before, that'll be kind of a letdown. But uh, I'm anxious to find out what this uh, third faction is. Yes. And it looks like we got some new guest cast members as well. Frank Whaley is going to be playing Dr. Marston. Andrew West is going to be playing Pete Blackwell. We got Bess Rue playing Abby DeWitt. Mike Whaley playing Malik. Shantae Bowser playing The Woman. And Matthew Warzel playing the Whistling Miller. That, that's, that's an interesting ominous. character. Yes. Can't wait to see what that is. 
going to be written by Catherine Humphreys and directed by Ed Ornelius. So it'll be an interesting episode again, July 9th. It's the pre-Comic-Con episode. Uh, I'm sure it'll be big because they want to go into Comic-Con with a bang. Absolutely. I, I cannot believe where all the time has flown that it's already time for, for Comic-Con in San Diego yet again. Amazing. Amazing stuff. Well, good show tonight. We want to just say thanks to all of you for subscribing to the show over these past two seasons. But the fun is not over yet. Since we were gone for so long, we asked you last week for your help in bringing over some Under the Dome Radio.com iTunes reviews. And we did get a few five-star reviews in. So thank you, Dexter Cornell. Such a crazy show. Such a great podcast. They're fair. They're funny. They know the show is nuts. Under the Dome Radio <laughs> is the only podcast I listen to for my dome nonsense. Uh, we also had, uh, I'm going to say this wrong, Rai Rai Cooley Cool said awesome podcast and she loves it or he loves it because it's so entertaining, great format that involves the listeners and man, a lot of you this week. Good stuff. Keep it coming. Uh, we want to top it off next week and I'm, I'm going to need two cart machines if we get more voicemails next week. Uh, that would be awesome, Troy. And then our friend Rumple Love, Rumple Love, entertaining, witty, silly, Sir Troy, Sir Wayne, have it all. Checking in from Dome Central, let you all know that this podcast is the best for all your Under the Dome needs. The duo are intelligent. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> We've got them fooled. <laughs> she don't know us very well, do she? Uh, they have fun segments and do a great job of getting their listeners involved. After watching a confusing roller coaster episode of Under the Dome, you definitely want to tune in to get the 411 of what you just watched because even here in Dome Central, it does get pretty weird. Thanks, guys. You're awesome. Man, I am humbled, blown away, and very thankful for those reviews. And it's very much appreciated and reminds us yet again that it really is. It sounds cliche, but it is true. It is about the listeners. Look at all of the great things that came from the listeners in this particular episode of the podcast. We love sharing listener feedback, your thoughts, your theories, and all of that good stuff, because that's what makes it more of a collective mind, kind of like we're all in pods. So. You know, thank you so very much. Yeah. And with that, we do want to say maybe our in memoriam segment. Uh, We did get a comment on the website from one Lucifer Jr. He was a regular contributor last season. And unfortunately for him, the show is just not up to par for him to continue watching it, even to hang out with all of us. So he did inform us that he he was okay. Things are good over in the Philippines and be just... He just can't continue with the show, so we will not be hearing from Lucifer Jr. this year. But we do want to say thank you. Uh, if you are listening still, uh, just can't contribute because you're not watching. Thank you so much for all the contributions last year. And if somehow a crazy dragon dinosaur attacks the dome, we will call you right away. Absolutely. That is all great. We love the reviews. In fact, if you're listening on your smartphone, your iPhone, if you have the podcast app, you can leave your review right there from the iOS podcast app. And you can even help out the show by donating donating some propane to the Under the Dome radio station. It's one of those wacky stations that runs on propane. You can help support the cause. Just look for the propane donation button on the side of our website at underthedomeradio.com. We have a variety of sizes. If you'd like to support us, that'd be a fun way to keep this radio station on the air all summer long. And we love connecting with all of you, your fellow domies on Facebook, on Twitter, all over the place. Just head on over to underthedomeradio.com. All our social links are there at the top of the page. So make sure you tune, make sure you team up with us as we're hanging out all around Chester's Mill. But most importantly, we want you to subscribe 
wherever you get your podcast, tune in iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spreaker, right there in iTunes or on the website, wherever it may be. Make sure you subscribe and tell us what you love about the show so that you can continue to be part of the Chester's Mill community because we want you to come back every single week. Absolutely. Please do. And thanks so much for taking the time to listen to Under the Dome Radio. Share your thoughts and theories for the next episode at underthedomeradio.com slash feedback for all the details. And until next time, I'm at Wayne Henderson. And I'm at Troy Heinrichs, staring up silently into the moon as I stay trapped, along with Wayne Under the Dome. Under the Dome Radio Under the Dome Radio is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Get more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Get organized in your personal and professional life, laugh with our clean comedy, theorize over great television shows, and so much more, all waiting for you at noodle.mx.